Book Five, Part Two of the History of Britain by John Milton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Edward the Elder. Edward, the son of Alfred, succeeded him, in learning not equal, but in power and extent of dominion surpassing his father. The beginning of his reign had much disturbance by Ethelwold, an ambitious young man who was son of the king's uncle or cousin german or brother for his genealogy is variously delivered he vainly avouching to have equal right with edward of succession to the crown possessed himself of wimburn in dorsetshire and of another town diversely named giving out that there he would live or die but being encompassed with the king's forces at badbury a place nigh his heart failed him and he stole out by night and fled to the danish army beyond the humber the king sent after him but not overtaking found his wife in the town whom he had married out of a nunnery and he commanded her to be sent back thither about this time note post christ 902 returned to text the kentish men against a multitude of danish pirates fought prosperously at a place called home as hovenden records ethelwald aided by the Northumbrians, with shipping, three years after, note post-Christ 905, return to text, sailing to the East Angles, persuaded the Danes there to fall into the king's territory, who, marching with him as far as Crackland, and passing the Thames there, wasted as far beyond as they durst venture, and, laden with spoils, returned home. The king, with his powers making speed after them, between the dyke and ooze, supposed to be Suffolk, Cambridgeshire, as far as the fens northward laid waste all before him thence intending to return he commanded that all his army should follow him close without delay but the kentishmen though often called upon lagging behind the danish army prevented them and joined battle with the king where duke sigulf and earl sigelm with many other of the nobles were slain on the danes part eric their king and ethelwald the author of this war with others of high note and of them greater number, but with great ruin on both sides. Yet the Danes kept in their power the burying of their slain. Whatever followed upon this conflict, which we read not, the king two years after with the Danes, note, post-Christ 907, return to text, both of East Angles and Northumberland, concluded peace, which continued three years, by whomsoever broken, for at the end thereof, note, post-Christ 910, returned to text king edward raising great forces out of west sex and mercia sent them against the danes beyond the humber where staying five weeks they made great spoil and slaughter the king offered them terms of peace but they rejecting all entered with the next year into mercia post christ nine eleven returned to text rendering no less hostility than they had suffered but at tetnall in staffordshire Seth Florent, were by the English in a set battle overthrown. King Edward, then in Kent, had got together of ships about a hundred sail. Others, gone southward, came back and met him. The Danes, now supposing that his main forces were upon the sea, took liberty to rove and plunder up and down, as hope of prey led them, beyond the Severn. The king, guessing what might embolden them, sent before him the lightest of his army to entertain them then following with the rest set upon them in their return over cantbrig in gloucestershire 
and slew many thousands, among whom Equils, Hafton, and Hingwa their kings, and many other harsh names in Huntingdon. The place also of this fight is variously written, by Ethelward and Florent called Wogensfield. The year following, note post-Christ 912, return to text, the Duke of Mercia, to whom Alfred had given London with his daughter in marriage, now dying, King Edward resumed that city, and Oxford, with the countries adjoining, into his own hands, and the year after built, or much repaired by his soldiers, the town of Hartford, on either side Lee, and, having a sufficient number at the work, marched about middle summer with the other part of his forces into Essex, and encamped at Malden, while his soldiers built Wilton, where a good part of the country, subject formerly to the Danes, yielded themselves to his protection. Four years after, note, post-Christ 917, return to text, Florent allows but one year, the Danes from Leicester and Northampton, falling into Oxfordshire, committed much rapine, and in some towns thereof great slaughter, while another party, wasting Hertfordshire, met with other fortune, for the country people, inured now to such kind of incursions, joining stoutly together, fell upon the spoilers, and recovered their own goods with some booty from their enemies. About the same time, Elfled, the king's sister, sent her army of Mercians into Wales, who routed the Welsh, took the castle of Brichnamere by Brecknock, and brought away the king's wife of that country, with other prisoners. Not long after, she took Derby from the Danes, and the castle by sharp assault. But the year ensuing, note post-Christ 918, return to text, brought a new fleet of Danes to Ledwick in Devonshire, under two leaders, Otter and Rold, who, sailing thence westward about the land's end, came up to the mouth of the Severn. Their landing wasted the Welsh coast and Erkenfield, part of Hertfordshire, where they took Cunelac, a British bishop, for whose ransom King Edward gave forty pound. But the men of Harford and Gloucestershire, assembling, put them to flight, slaying Rold and the brother of Otter, with many more, pursued them to a wood, and their beset compelled them to give hostages of present departure. The king with his army sat not far off, securing from the south of Severn to Avon, so that, openly they durst not, by night they twice ventured to land, but found such welcome that few of them came back. The rest, anchored by a small island, where many of them were famished. Then, sailing to a place called Deomed, they crossed into Ireland. The king with his army went to Buckingham, stayed there a month, and built two castles, or forts, on either bank of Ouse, ere his departing. And Turkitel, a Danish leader, with those of Bedford and Northampton, yielded him subjection. Whereupon the next year, note post-Christ 919, return to text, he came with his army to the town of Bedford, took possession thereof, stayed there a month, and gave order to build another part of the town on the south side of the Ouse. Thence, the year following, note post-Christ 920, return to text, he went again to Malden, repaired and fortified the town. Turkitel the Dane, having small hope to thrive here, where things with such prudence were managed against his interest, got leave of the king, with as many voluntaries as would follow him, to pass into France. Early the next year, Edward re-edified Tovechester, now Torchester, 
and another city in the annals called Wajingmir. Meanwhile, the Danes in Leicester and Northamptonshire, not liking perhaps to be neighboured with strong towns, laid siege to Torchester, but finding that the people within the town repelled the assault one whole day till supplies came, quitted the siege by night, and, being pursued closely by the besieged, between Burnwood and Aylesbury were surprised, and many of them made prisoners, and much of their baggage lost. Others of the Danes at Huntington, aided from the East Angles, finding that castle not commodious, left it and built another at Thamesford, judging that place more opportune from whence to make their excursions, and soon after went forth with design to assail Bedford. But the garrison, issuing out, slew a great part of them, and the rest fled. After this, a great army of them, gathered out of Mercia and the East Angles, came and besieged the city called Wajingmere a whole day, but finding it defended stoutly by them within, thence also departed, driving away much of their cattle, whereupon the English, from towns and cities round about, joining forces, laid siege to the town and castle of Thamesford, and by assault took both, slew their king with Toglia, a duke, and Manon his son, an earl, with all the rest there found who chose to die rather than yield. Encouraged by this, the men of Kent, Surrey, and part of Essex enterprised the siege of Colchester, nor gave over till they won it, sacking the town and putting to the sword all the Danes therein, except some who escaped over the wall. To the succor of these, a great number of Danes inhabiting ports and other towns in the country of the East Angles united their force. But coming too late, as in revenge beleaguered Malden, but that town also being timely relieved, they departed, and were not only frustrated of their design, but so hotly pursued that many thousands of them lost their lives in the flight. Forthwith King Edward with his West Saxons went to Passam upon the river Ouse, there to guard the passage, while others were building a stone wall about Torchester. To him their Earl Thurfert, and other Lord Danes, with their army thereabout, as far as Vialud, came and submitted, whereat the king's soldiers joyfully cried out to be dismissed home. Therefore with another part of them he entered Huntingdon, and repaired it, where breaches had been made, all the people thereabout returning to obedience. The like was done at Colchester by the next remove of his army, after which both East and West Angles, and the Danish forces among them, yielded to the king, swearing allegiance to him both by sea and land. The army also of the Danes at Grantbrig, surrendering themselves, took the same oath. The summer following, note post-Christ 922, return to text, he came with his army to Stamford, built a castle there on the south side of the river, where all the people of these quarters acknowledged him supreme. During his abode there, Elfled, his sister, a martial woman, who after her husband's death would no more marry, but gave herself to public affairs, repairing and fortifying many towns, and sometimes making war, died at Tamworth, the chief seat of Mercia, whereof, by gift of Alfred, her father, she was lady or queen, whereby that whole nation became obedient to King Edward, as did also North Wales, with Hole, Clodalcus, and Jothwell, their kings. Thence, passing to Nottingham, he entered and repaired the town, placed there part English, part Danes, and received fealty from all in Mercia of either nation. The next autumn, 
note post christ 923 return to text coming with his army to cheshire he built and fortified thelwell and while he stayed there called another army out of mercia which he sent to repair and fortify manchester about midsummer following he marched again to nottingham built a town over against it on the south side of that river and with a bridge joined them both thence journeyed to a place called bedecken willen in pictland there also built and fenced a city on the borders where the king of scots did him honour as to his sovereign together with the whole scottish nation the like reginald did and the son of edolf danish princes with all the northumbrians both english and danes the king also of a people thereabout called straight gledwally the north welsh as camden thinks of straight glid in denbyshire perhaps rather the british of cumberland did him homage and not undeserved for buchanan himself confesses that this king edward with a small number of men compared to his enemies overthrew in a great battle the whole united power both of scots and danes slew most of the scottish nobility and forced malcolm whom constantine the scottish king had made general and designed heir of his crown to save himself by flight sore wounded of the english he makes athelstan the son of edward chief leader and so far seems to confound times and actions as to make this battle the same with that fought by athelstan about twenty-four years after at bruneford against anlaf and constantine whereof hereafter but here buchanan takes occasion to inveigh against the english writers upbraiding them with ignorance who affirm athelstan to have been supreme king of britain and constantine the scottish king with others to have held of him and denies that in the annals of marianus scotus any mention is to be found thereof which i shall not stand much to contradict for in marianus whether by his surname or from his native country called scotus will be found as little mention of any other scottish affairs till the time of king duncan slain by macetad or macbeth in the year ten forty which gives cause a suspicion that the affairs of scotland before that time were so obscure as to be unknown to their own countrymen who lived and wrote his chronicle not long after but king edward thus nobly doing and thus honoured the year following died at farrington note post christ nine twenty five return to text having through all his reign been a builder and restorer even in time of war not a destroyer of his land he had by several wives many children his eldest daughter edgeth he gave in marriage to charles king of france grandchild of charles the bald above mentioned of the rest in place convenient his laws are yet to be seen he was buried at winchester in the monastery near alfred his father and a few days after him died ethelward his eldest son the heir of his crown he had the whole island in subjection yet so as petty kings reigned under him in northumberland after ecbert whom the danes had set up and the northumbrians yet unruly under their yoke at the end of six years had expelled one rixig was set up king and bore the name three years then another ecbert and guthred the latter if we believe legends of a servant had been made king by command of saint cudbert in a vision 
and enjoined by another vision of the same saint to pay well for his royalty many lands and privileges to his church and monastery but now to the story athelstan athelstan next in age to ethelbert his brother who deceased untimely few days before though born of a concubine yet for the great appearance of many virtues in him and his brethren being yet under age was exalted to the throne at kingston upon thames note post christ nine twenty six return to text and by his father's last will saith malmesbury yet not without some opposition of one alfred and his accomplices who not liking he should reign had conspired to seize on him after his father's death and to put out his eyes but the conspirators were discovered and alfred denying the plot was sent to rome to assert his innocence before the pope where taking his oath on the altar he fell down immediately and being carried out by his servants three days after died meanwhile beyond the humber the danes though much awed were not idle ingald one of their kings took possession of york citric who some years before had slain neil his brother by force took davenport in cheshire and however he defended these doings grew so considerable that athelstan with great solemnity gave him his sister edgeth to wife but he enjoyed her not long dying ere the year's end nor did his sons anlaf and guthford long enjoy the kingdom being driven out the next year by athelstan note post christ nine twenty seven return to text not unjustly saith huntington as being the first raisers of the war simeon calls him godfred a british king whom athelstan this year drove out of his kingdom and perhaps they were both one the name and time not much differing the place only mistaken malmesbury differs in the name also calling him adolf a certain rebel them also i wish as much mistaken who write that athelstan jealous of his younger brother edwin's towardly virtues lest added to his greater birth they might some time or other call in question his illegitimate precedence caused him to be drowned in the sea note post christ nine thirty three return to text exposed some say with one servant in a rotten bark without sail or oar where the youth far off land and in rough weather despairing threw himself overboard the servant more patient got to land and reported the success but this malmesbury confesses to be sung in old songs but not read in warrantable authors and huntington speaks of a sad accident to athelstan that he lost his brother edwin by sea which seems far the more credible story in that athelstan as it is written by all tenderly loved and bred up the rest of his brethren of whom he had no less cause to be jealous than of edwin and the year following note post christ nine thirty four return to text he prospered better than after the commission of so foul a deed could be expected in marching into scotland with great puissance both by sea and land and chasing his enemies before him by land as far as dunfjordr and wertemont and by sea as far as caithness the cause of this expedition saith malmesbury was to demand guthford the son of citric thither fled though not denied at length by constantine who with eugenius king of cumberland at a place called dacor or dacre in that shire surrendered himself 
and each of them his kingdom, to Athelstan, who brought back with him, for a hostage, the son of Constantine. But Guthfert, escaping in the meanwhile out of Scotland, and Constantine exasperated by this invasion, persuaded Anlaf, the other son of Citric, who had then fled into Ireland, others write Anlaf, king of Ireland and the Isles, his son-in-law, with six hundred and fifteen ships, and the king of Cumberland with other forces, to come to his aid. This, within four years, effected, note, post-Christ 938, return to text, they entered England by the Humber, and fought with Athelstan at a place called Wendun, others term it Brunenburg, others Brunford, which Ingolf places beyond the Humber, Camden in Glendale of Northumberland on the Scotch borders, the bloodiest fight, say authors, that ever this island saw, to describe which the Saxon analyst, who is one to be sober and succinct, whether the same or another writer, now labouring under the weight of his argument and overcharged, runs on a sudden into such extravagant fancies and metaphors as bear him quite beside the scope of being understood. Huntington, though himself peccant enough in this kind, transcribes him word for word as a pastime to his readers. I shall only sum up whatever my can attain in usual language. The battle was fought eagerly from morning till night. Some fell of King Edward's old army, tried in many a battle before, but on the other side great multitudes, and the rest fled to their ships. Five kings and seven of Anlaf's chief captains were slain on the place with Froda, a Norman leader. Constantine escaped home, but lost his son in the fight, if I understand my author. Anlaf fled by sea to Dublin, with a small remainder of his great host. Malmesbury relates this war, adding many circumstances after this manner. That Anlaf, joining with Constantine and the whole power of Scotland, besides those which he brought with him out of Ireland, came on far southwards, till Athelstan, who had retired on set purpose to be the surer of his enemies and closed from all succour and retreat, met him at Brunford. Anlaf, perceiving the valour and resolution of Athelstan, and mistrusting his own forces, though numerous, resolved first to spy in what posture his enemies lay, and, imitating perhaps what he had heard to have been attempted by King Alfred in the age before, in the habit of a musician, got access, by his lute and voice, to the king's tent, there playing both the minstrel and the spy. Then, towards evening, being dismissed, he was observed by one who had been his soldier, and well knew him, to have been viewing earnestly the king's tent, and what approaches lay about it, and then, in the twilight, to depart. The soldier forthwith acquaints the king, and being by him blamed for letting go his enemy, answered that he had given first his military oath to Anlaf, whom, if he had betrayed, the king might suspect him of like treasonous mind towards himself, which, to disprove, he advised him to remove his tent a good distance off. And that being so done, it happened that a bishop, with his retinue coming to that army, pitched his tent in the same place from whence the king had removed his. Anlaf, coming by night, as he had designed, to assault the camp, and especially the king's tent, finding there the bishop instead, slew him with all his followers. Athelstan took the alarm, 
and as it seems was not found so unprovided but that the day now appearing he put his men in order and maintained the fight till evening wherein constantine himself was slain with five other kings and twelve earls the saxon annals were content with seven in the rest not disagreeing ingulf abbot of croyland from the authority of turcatol a principal leader in this battle relates it more at large to this effect that athelstan above a mile distant from the place where execution was done upon the bishop and his supplies alarmed at the noise came down by break of day upon anlaf and his army overwatched and wearied now with the slaughter they had made and something out of order yet in two main battles the king therefore in like manner dividing led the one part consisting mostly of west saxons against anlaf and his danes and irish committing the other to his chancellor turcatol with the mercians and londoners against constantine and his scots the shower of arrows and darts overpassed both battles attacked each other with a close and terrible engagement for a long space neither side giving ground till the chancellor turcatel a man of great stature and strength taking with him a few londoners of select valour and singen who led the worcestershire men a captain of undaunted courage broke into the thickest making his way first through the picts and orkneyers then through the cumbrians and scots and came at length where constantine himself fought unhorsed him and used all means to take him alive but the scots valiantly defending their king and laying load upon turcatel which the goodness of his armour well endured he had yet been beaten down had not singen his faithful second at the same time slain constantine which being once known anlaf and the whole army betook themselves to flight whereof a huge multitude fell by the sword this turcato not long after leaving worldly affairs became abbot of croyland which at his own cost he had repaired from danish ruins and left there this memorial of his former actions athelstan with his brother edmund victorious thence turning into wales with much more ease vanquished ludwall the king and possessed his land but malmesbury writes that commiserating human chance as he displaced so he restored both him and constantine to their regal state for the surrender of king constantine hath been above spoken of however the welsh did him homage at the city of hereford and covenanted yearly payment of gold twenty pounds of silver three hundred of oxen twenty five thousand besides hunting dogs and hawks he also took exeter from the cornish britons who till that time had equal right there with the english and bounded them with the river tamar as the other british with the way thus dreaded of his enemies and renowned far and near three years after he died at gloucester note post christ nine forty one returned to text and was buried with many trophies at malmesbury where he had caused to be laid his two cousin germans elwyn and ethelstan both slain in the battle against anlaf he was thirty years old at his coming to the crown mature in wisdom from his childhood comely of person and behaviour so that alfred his grandfather in blessing him was wont to pray that he might live to have the kingdom and put him while yet a child into a soldier's habit 
he had his breeding in the court of elflet his aunt of whose virtues more than female we have spoken above which is sufficient to evince that his mother though said to be no wedded wife was yet such a person as to parentage and worth as the royal line disdained not to converse with though the song went in malmesbury's days for it seems he refused not the authority of ballads for want of better memorials that his mother was a farmer's daughter but of excellent feature who dreamt one night she brought forth a moon that should enlighten the whole land which the king's nurse hearing of took her home and bred up courtly that the king coming one day to visit his nurse saw there this damsel liked her and by earnest she prevailing had by her this famous athelstan a bounteous just and affable king as malmesbury sets him forth not less honoured abroad by foreign kings who sought his friendship by great gifts or by seeking his affinity that harold of noricum sent him a ship whose prow was of gold sails purple and other golden things the more to be wondered at as sent from noricum whether that name meant norway or bavaria the one place being so far from such superfluity of wealth the other so far from all sea the ambassadors were helbrim and offred who found the king at york his sisters he gave in marriage to the greatest princes eglif to otho son of henry the emperor edgith to a certain duke about the alps edgiv to ludwig king of aquitaine sprung of charles the great athilda to hugo king of france who sent eldulf son of baldwin earl of flanders to obtain her from all these great suitors especially from the emperor and king of france came rich presents horses of excellent breed gorgeous trappings and armour relics jewels odours vessels of onyx and other precious things which i leave poetically described in malmesbury in verses taken as he confesses out of an old versifier some of which verses he recites the only blemish left upon him was the exposing of his brother edwin to danger who had disavowed by oath the treason whereof he was accused and implored an equal hearing but these were songs as before hath been said which add also that athelstan when his anger over soon repented of the fact and put to death his cup-bearer who had induced him to suspect and expose his brother having been put in mind of that unhappy action by a word falling from the cup-bearer's own mouth who slipping one day as he bore the king's cup and recovering himself on the other leg said aloud fatally as to him it proved one brother helps the other which words the king laying to heart and pondering how ill he had done to make away his brother avenged himself first on the adviser of that fact and then took on himself a penance of seven years and as matthew of westminster saith built two monasteries for the soul of his brother his are extant among the laws of other saxon kings to this day edmund edmund not above eighteen years old note post christ nine forty two return to text succeeded his brother athelstan in courage not inferior for in the second year of his reign he freed mercia of the danes that remained there and took from them the cities of lincoln nottingham stamford derby and leicester where they were placed by king edward 
but it seems gave not good proof of their fidelity. Simeon writes that Anlaf, setting forth from York, and having wasted southward as far as Northampton, was met by Edmund at Leicester, but that ere the battles joined, peace was made between them by Odo and Woolston, the two archbishops, with the conversion of Anlaf to the Christian religion. For the same year, Edmund received at the Fontstone this, or another Anlaf, as saith Huntington, and not him spoken of before, who died this year, so uncertain they are in the story of these times also, and held Reginald, another king of the Northumbers, while the bishop confirmed him. Their limits were divided north and south by Watling Street. But spiritual kindred little availed to keep peace between them, whoever gave the cause for breaking it. For we read him two years after, note, post-Christ 944, return to text, driving Anlaf, whom the Saxon annals now first call the son of Citric, and Suthred, the son of Reginald, out of Northumberland, and taking the whole country into subjection to himself. Edmund, the next year, note post-Christ 945, return to text, harassed Cumberland, then gave it to Malcolm, king of Scots, who was thereby bound to assist him in his wars, both by sea and land. Matthew of Westminster adds that in this action Edmund had the aid of Leolin, prince of North Wales, against Dumael, the Cumbrian king, him depriving of his kingdom and his two sons of their sight. But the year after, note post-Christ 946, return to text, he himself, by strange accident, came to an untimely death. For, feasting with his nobles on St. Austin's Day, at Pocklekirk in Gloucestershire, to celebrate the memory of his first converting the Saxons, he spied Leof, a noted thief whom he had banished, sitting among his guests, whereat transported with too much vehemence of spirit, though in a just cause, rising from the table, he run upon the thief, and catching his hair, pulled him to the ground. The thief, who doubted from such handling no less than his death to be intended, thought to die not unrevenged, and with a short dagger struck the king, who still laid at him and little expected such assassination, mortally into the breast. The matter was done in a moment, ere men sitting at table could turn round or imagine at first what the stir meant, till, perceiving the king to be deadly wounded, they flew upon the murderer and hewed him to pieces, who, like a wild beast at a bay, seeing himself surrounded, desperately laid about him, wounding some in his fall. The king was buried at Glaston, whereof Dunstan was then abbot. His laws yet remain to be seen among the laws of other Saxon kings. Edred Edred, the third brother of Athelstan, the sons of Edmund being yet but children, next reigned, not degenerating from his worthy predecessors, and was crowned at Kingston. Northumberland he thoroughly subdued, and the Scots, without refusal, swore him allegiance. Yet the Northumbrians, ever of doubtful faith, soon after chose to themselves one Eric, a Dane. Huntington still haunts us with this Anlaf, of whom we would gladly have been rid, and will have him before Eric be recalled once more to the throne, and to reign four years, and then to be again put to his shifts. Note, post-Christ 950, return to text. But Edred turning, 
Eric the king fell upon his rear. Edred, turning about, both shook off the enemy and prepared to make a second inroad, which the Northumbrians, dreading, rejected Eric, slew Amancus, the son of Anlaf, and with many presents appeasing Edred, submitted again to his government, and from that time had no kings, but were governed by earls, of whom Oswulf was the first. About this time, note, post-Christ 953, return to text, Woolston, Archbishop of York, accused to have slain certain men of Thetford in revenge of their abbot, whom the townsmen had slain, was committed by the king to close custody, but soon after was enlarged and restored to his place. Malmesbury writes that his crime was to have connived at the revolt of his countrymen. But King Edred, two years after, note post-Christ 955, return to text, sickening in the flower of his youth, died much lamented, and was buried at Winchester. Edwy. Edwy, the son of Edmund, now come to age, after his uncle Edred's death, took on him the government, and was crowned at Kingston. His lovely person caused him to be surnamed the Fair. His actions are diversely reported, by Huntington not thought illaudible, but Malmesbury, and such as follow him, write far otherwise that he married or kept as a concubine his near kinswoman. Some say both her and her daughter, so inordinately given to his pleasure, that on the very day of his coronation he abruptly withdrew himself from the company of his peers, whether in banquet or consultation, to sit wantoning in the chamber with his algiva, so was her name who had such power over him. Whereat his barons offended, sent Bishop Dunstan, the boldest among them, to request his return. He, going to the chamber, not only interrupted his dalliance and rebuked the lady, but taking him by the hand, between force and persuasion, brought him back to his nobles. The king, highly displeased, and instigated perhaps by her who was so prevalent with him, not long after sent Dunstan into banishment, note post-Christ 956, return to text, caused his monastery to be rifled, and became an enemy to all monks and friars whereupon Odo, Archbishop of Canterbury, pronounced a separation or divorce of the king from Algebra. But that which most incited William of Malmesbury against him was that he gave that monastery to be dwelt in by secular priests, or, to use his own phrase, made it a stable of clerks. At length these affronts done to the church were so resented by the people that the Mercians and Northumbrians revolted from him and set up Edgar, his brother, leaving to Edwy the West Saxons only, bounded by the river Thames, with grief whereof, as is thought, he soon after ended his days. Note, post-Christ 955, return to text, and was buried at Winchester. Meanwhile, note, post-Christ 958, return to text, Elfin, bishop of that place, after the death of Odo ascending by simony to the chair of Canterbury, and going to Rome the same year for his Paul, was frozen to death in the Alps. Edgar Edgar, by his brother's death, now king of all England at sixteen years of age, note, post-Christ 959, return to text, called home Dunstan out of Flanders, where he lived in exile. This king had no war all his reign, yet always well prepared for war, 
governed the kingdom in great peace, honor, and prosperity, gaining thence the surname of Peaceable, much extolled for justice, clemency, and all kingly virtues. The more you may be sure by monks, for his building so many monasteries, as some write, every year one, for he much favoured the monks against secular priests, who in the time of Edwy had got possession of most of their convents. His care and wisdom was great in guarding the coast round with stout ships, to the number of 3,600. Matthew of Westminster reckons them 4,800. Divided into four squadrons, to sail to and fro about the four quarters of the land, meeting each other. The first of 1,200 sailed from east to west, the second of as many from west to east, the third and fourth between north and south himself in the summer-time with his fleet. Thus he kept out wisely the force of strangers, and prevented foreign war. But by their too frequent resort hither in time of peace, and his too much favouring them, he let in their vices unaware. Thence the people, saith Malmesbury, learned of the outlandish Saxons, rudeness, of the Flemish, daintiness and softness, of the Danes, drunkenness though I doubt these vices are as naturally homebred here as in any of those countries. Yet in the winter and springtime he usually rode the circuit as a judge itinerant through all his provinces to see justice well administered and the poor not oppressed. Thieves and robbers he rooted almost out of the land, and wild beasts of prey altogether, enjoining Ludwell, king of Wales, to pay the yearly tribute of three hundred wolves, which he did for two years together, till the third year no more were to be found, nor ever after. But his laws may be read yet extant. Whatever was the cause, he was not crowned till the thirtieth of his age, but then with great splendor and magnificence at the city of Bath, in the Feast of Pentecost. This year, note post-Christ 973, returned to text, died Swarlick, a monk of Croyland, in the hundred and forty-second year of his age, and another soon after him in the hundred and fifteenth, in that fenny and waterish air the more remarkable. King Edgar the next year, note, post-Christ 974, returned to text, went to Chester, and summoning to his court there all the kings that held of him took homage of them. Their names are Kenned, king of Scots, Malcolm of Cumberland, Bicus of the Isles, Five of Wales, Duffel, Thuel, Griffith, Jacob, Judith. These he had in such awe that, going one day into a galley, he caused them to take each man his oar and row him down the river Dee, in which he himself sat at the stern, which might be done in merriment and easily obeyed, but, if done with a serious brow, discovered rather vainglory and insulting haughtiness than moderation of mind and that he did it seriously triumphing, appears by his words then uttered, quote, that his successors might then glory to be kings of England when they had such honour done them, unquote. And perhaps the divine power was displeased with him for taking too much honour to himself, since we read that the year following, note, post-Christ 975, returned to text, he was taken out of this life by sickness in the height of his glory, and the prime of his age. He was buried at Glaston Abbey. The same year, as Matthew of Westminster relates, he gave to Kenneth the Scotch king many rich presents, 
and the whole country of Laudium or Lothian, to hold of him on condition that he and his successors should repair to the English court at high festivals when the king sat crowned. Gave him also many lodging places by the way, which till the days of Henry the Second were still held by the kings of Scotland. He was of stature not tall, of body slender, yet so well made that in strength he chose to contend with such as were thought strongest, and disliked nothing more than that they should spare him for respect or fear to hurt him. Kenned, king of Scots, then in the court of Edgar, sitting one day at table, was heard to say jestingly among his servants, he wondered how so many provinces could be held in subjection by such a little dapper man. His words were brought to the king's ear. He sends for Kenned, as about some private business, and in talk drawing him forth to a secret place, takes from under his garment two swords, which he had brought with him, gave one of them to Kenned. And now, saith he, it shall be tried which ought to be the subject, for it is shameful for a king to boast at table and shrink in fight. Kenned, much abashed, fell presently at his feet, and besought him to pardon what he had simply spoken, no way intended to his dishonour or disparagement, wherewith the king was satisfied. Camden, in his description of Ireland, cites a charter of King Edgar, wherein it appears he had in subjection all the kingdoms of the Isles as far as Norway, and had subdued the greatest part of Ireland with the city of Dublin. But of this other writers make no mention. In his youth, having heard of Elfrida, daughter of Ordgar, Duke of Devonshire, much commended for her beauty, he sent Earl Athelwold, whose loyalty he trusted most, to see her, intending, if she were found such as answered report, to demand her in marriage. He, at the first view, taken with her presence, disloyally, as it often happens in such employments, began to sue for himself, and with consent of her parents, obtained her. Returning, therefore, with scarce an ordinary commendation of her feature, he easily took off the king's mind, which was soon diverted another way. But the matter coming to light how Athelwold had forestalled the king, and Elfrida's beauty being more and more spoken of, the king, now heated not only with the relapse of love, but with a deep sense of the abuse, yet dissembling his disturbance, pleasantly told the earl what day he meant to come and visit him and his fair wife. The earl seemingly assured his welcome, but in the meanwhile acquainting his wife, earnestly advised her to deform herself what she might, either in dress or otherwise, lest the king, whose amorous inclination was not unknown, should chance to be attracted. She, who by this time was not ignorant how Athelwold had stepped between her and the king, against his coming arrays herself richly, using whatever art she could devise that might render her the more amiable, and it took effect. For the king, inflamed with her love the more for that he had been so long defrauded and robbed of her, resolved not only to recover his intercepted right, but to punish the interloper of his destined spouse, and appointing with him, as was usual, a day of hunting, drew him aside in a forest, now called Harewood, and smote him through with a dart. Some censure this act as cruel and tyrannical, but considered well it may be judged more favourably, and that there was no man of sensible spirit but in his place without extraordinary perfection would have done the like. For next to an attempt against his life, what worse treason could have been committed against him? 
it chanced that the earl's base son coming by upon the fact the king sternly asked him how he liked this game he submissively answering that whatsoever pleased the king must not displease him the king returning to his wonted temper took an affection to the youth and ever after highly favoured him making amends to the son for what he had done to the father elfrida forthwith he took to wife who to expiate her former husband's death though therein she had no hand covered the place of his bloodshed with the monastery of nuns to sing over him another fault is laid to his charge no way excusable that he took a virgin wilfrida by force out of the nunnery where she was placed by her friends to avoid his pursuit and kept her as his concubine but lived not obstinately in the offence for being sharply reproved by dunstan he submitted to seven years penance and for that time to postpone the important ceremony of his coronation but why he had not had it performed before is left unwritten another story there goes of edgar fitter for a novel than a history but as i find it in malmesbury so i relate it while he was yet unmarried in his youth he abstained not from women and coming on a day to andover ordered a duke's daughter there dwelling reported rare of beauty to be brought to him the mother not daring flatly to deny yet abhorring that her daughter should be so deflowered at fit time of night sent in her daughter's attire one of her waiting-maids a maid it seems not unhandsome nor unwitty who supplied the place of her young lady the night being past the maid was going to rise but daylight scarce yet appearing was by the king asked why she made such haste she answered to do the work which her lady had set her at which the king wondering and with much ado staying her to unfold the riddle for he took her to be the duke's daughter she falling at his feet besought him that since at the command of her lady she came to his bed and was enjoyed by him he would be pleased in recompense to set her free from the hard service of her mistress the king a while standing in a study whether he had best be angry or not at length turning all to a jest took the maid away with him advanced her above her lady loved her and accompanied with her only till he married elfrida these only are his faults upon record and it is rather to be wondered how they were so few and so soon left he coming at sixteen to the license of a sceptre and that his virtues were so many and mature he dying before the age wherein wisdom can in others attain to any ripeness however with him died all the saxon glory from henceforth nothing is to be heard of but their decline and ruin under a double conquest and the causes foregoing which not to blur or taint the praises of their former actions and liberty well defended shall stand severally related and will be more than long enough for another book a remark on the foregoing account of the succession of the several saxon kings of england from king alfred to king edgar there seems to be some difficulty in the foregoing account given us by milton of the succession of the saxon kings of england from the great king alfred to king edgar with respect to the number of generations between them which is here represented to be only three generations namely one from alfred to his son king edward his immediate successor 
who succeeded him in the year 900 and reigned 25 years, and died in the year 925. And a second generation from King Edward to his lawful son Edmund, who was but two years old at the death of his father King Edward, and did not succeed to the crown till the death of his half-brother King Athelstan, who was the son of King Edward by a concubine, and who reigned sixteen years, so that Edmund, the son of Edward, and grandson of Alfred, was only eighteen years old when he succeeded his half-brother Athelstan to the crown. And the third generation, from Edmund, the son of Edward, and grandson to King Alfred, to Edgar, the second son of King Edmund, and consequently the great-grandson of King Alfred. Now, it seems probable that King Edmund, the father of Edgar, was not the son but the grandson of King Edward, who was the son and successor of King Alfred, for the following reasons. King Alfred was born in the year A.D. 850, and he succeeded to the crown of England upon the death of his brother Ethelred, who was the last of his three elder brothers, Ethelbald, Ethelbert, and Ethelred, which happened in the year A.D. 870, when he was only twenty years of age, and he reigned thirty years and died in the year A.D. 900. And these historians tell us that he married at the age of twenty years, and from hence it seemed probable that his son and successor, King Edward, was born in the year A.D. 871 or 872, and consequently must have been about twenty-eight years of age in the year A.D. 900 when his father died. He succeeded his father in the government of the kingdom, and reigned twenty-five years, and died in the year A.D. 925, when he was probably twenty-eight together with twenty-five, or fifty-three years old. He was succeeded in the government by Athelstan, a bastard son, who was then thirty years old, and who therefore must have been born in the year 895, or when his father Edward was twenty-three years old. Now, since Edward, the son of Alfred, had a bastard son Athelstan, when he was about twenty-three years old, and about five years before his father Alfred's death, it seemed probable that he had also been married nearly about the same time, and had a lawful son nearly of the same age with his bastard son Athelstan, a year or two perhaps either older or younger than Athelstan, and who would therefore have been about the same age as Athelstan at the time of King Edward's death, that is, about the age of thirty years, instead of being a child only two years old, as King Edmund must have been according to the foregoing account, which makes him to have been only eighteen years old at the death of Athelstan, after a reign of sixteen years. It seems probable, therefore, that King Edward had had a lawful son of nearly the same age as his bastard son, Athelstan, and that this lawful son had been married when he was about the age of twenty or twenty-one years, that is, about the fifteenth year of King Edward's reign, or the year A.D. 915, and had from that marriage had a son named Edmund, born about the year A.D. 923, or two years before the death of his grandfather, King Edward and who would therefore have been two years and sixteen years, or eighteen years old at the death of King Athelstan, after a reign of sixteen years, as King Edmund is said to have been at that time. And then, if we suppose the said eldest lawful son of King Edward to have died before King Edward himself, the several events related in this history of the succession of the kings of England from King Alfred to King Edgar will become intelligible and consistent with each other 
and King Edgar must be considered as the fourth instead of the third descendant from King Alfred. F.M. The end of the fourth book of Milton's History of Britain. Recording by Thomas Cook.